give honor to uh, your tremendous superintendent. When I get around Brother Hale, uh, the phrase that comes to my mind is one that came from the lips of the master himself when he looked at a, a man and he said, a man in whom there is no guile. Brother Hale is just who he is. And uh, I like who he is. I'm glad to be here. Good to be with your good secretary, Brother West. God bless him. Brother Elder, Paul and Sister Lori Elder, uh, evangelized for quite a while in California. And we were kind of a surrogate mom and dad to them when they were in California. It's good to be with them. Uh, Brother Wilkins, I don't know if he's in here. He's kind of our bodyguard butler whatever he's just taking such good care of us god bless him uh, brought hot crispy cream donuts to the room now that's love man that's <laughs> i'm telling you that's great and all these other good men of god uh brother huntley my my what a word from the lord that you if you were not here last night I don't know what they charge, four, five, ten, fifteen, eighty dollars for the tapes, but be a tremendous investment in you and your family's re relationship with God if you'd get that tape. You can be seated. I'm, I'm going to, I got to ramble just a little bit before the preacher shows up. Uh, good to have my bride with me. Uh, if the Lord lets us live till next Tuesday, we will have enjoyed 74 years of marriage. She's enjoyed 37. I've enjoyed 37. The math works for me. I don't know that. Amen. We are, uh, I'm glad to report we're still on our honeymoon. Haven't come home yet. Don't plan to in the near future, but uh, good to have her with me. We don't always get to go together and it worked out this time and I'm glad you glad you know Jesus amen uh, I'm like brother elder I don't sing a whole lot anymore but I got a song in me this morning so uh, the Lord will be my helper and you will endure me uh, I will enjoy it whether y'all do or not so amen <clears throat> well I've come to this place from a dry thirsty land a drift at heart with no definite plan but one day the song of a small Jesus man turned one wasted life all around oh and I found an oasis of love its pastures are green year around oh and a new life is mine with from above, I found an oasis of love. Oh, well, I found an oasis of love. Oh, its pastures are green year around. Oh, and a new life is mine with peace from above. I found an oasis of love. Well, it's food for the hungry. And it's joy for the sad It's a home for the homeless All the kids, moms and dads And it may not appear Your exacting ideal But it's all that I need And it's for real And so i found an oasis of love Oh, its pastures are green year around Life is mine with peace from above. I found an oasis of love. So I'll sing to my king, I'll thank and praise him again. Because of his love, this loser can win. Hey, you on that desert of life, come on in. You can drink from the cup of my friend. Oh, and you'll find an oasis of love. Oh, its pastures are green year around. Oh, a new life is mine with peace 
from above I found an oasis of love And a new life is mine With peace from above I found an oasis of love Do you feel that way about it? Hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Everybody say praise the Lord would you stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord tonight or today? Uh, someone was apologizing for the size of the crowd. I think this is an awesome crowd for Thursday morning service. Uh, there's been a whole lot of times in my life I'd have thought I'd died and gone to heaven to preach to this many people. <laughs> Amen. Sister Mullings and I took the church in Bakersfield 25 years ago as of April and 19 voters the night we were elected and uh, I got 12 votes seven that didn't vote for me never came back two of the 12 that did vote for me moved the next week the 10 I had left all had televisions <laughs> so uh, I know what preaching to small crowds because it got smaller <laughs> I know what preaching to small crowds is like, but this is a great crowd. I, uh, I like preaching to daytime crowds, and I'm not impugning those that will be here biting the ceiling and leaving skid marks on the wall tonight, but the daytime folks are those that they just, they really want something, and I'm glad you're here, and I thank you for that. Uh, I will be honest, I probably will come more in a teaching mode than a preaching mode this morning. However, my daughter-in-law says I'm not capable. Uh, she says, I may start out teaching, but I'll wind up preaching, but we'll see. Um, now, you understand I'm a guest. I'm here. And uh, anything I mess up, your superintendent will straighten it up when I'm gone. I would not knowingly do or say anything that would offend anybody. But I do want to be honest with the word of the Lord today. And uh, I want to I want to preach, teach whatever whatever this little agenda we have here. And I do feel direction in the Holy Ghost for this day. And we are we are a day. We're a, we're a generation. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just where we're at. But uh, while we're seeing great revival coming through the door this way. Unfortunately, I'm seeing some that have lived for God for many years meeting them coming in as they're going out. And I don't understand how anybody that's ever had the Holy Ghost could walk away from this beautiful truth and this beautiful experience. And the only thing that I can conclude is they just don't have a grasp or an understanding of the real foundation that this thing is built on they don't really understand all they should about this this old worn out archaic blackback book we call the Bible and uh, even even and I'm, I'm speaking to people who want to know what's truth even preachers that have preached this have I think what happens is that they forget that this is not just a resource book for sermon material. That every time I open this book, I, I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that the eternal God of glory is about to speak to me. I, I used to use, when I was going somewhere that people had heard before, I would say, we're going to a familiar passage of Scripture. And a couple of years ago, the Holy Ghost convicted me, and I covenanted with God that I'll never use that phrase again relative to the Word of the Lord. I don't want to become familiar with the Word of God. Aesop in his fable, The Lion and the Fox, says familiarity breeds contempt. And I think sometimes that happens, that uh, we, this just becomes our job manual. And it is not that. This is, there, there is not a sheet of paper so fine that you can wedge between this and the Spirit of God. You see, this is the Word of God and this is God. 
you have your Bibles, want to go with me this morning to the Gospel according to John. Going to the 21st chapter. If you're not sure, just go to the book of Acts and turn left and we're going to read the last two verses of the Gospel of John and use that if the Lord will help us as our preaching point today. John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. When you're there, say hallelujah. hallelujah. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. That if they were written, every one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And everybody said amen. amen. If the Lord and we, we have to put labels on these things so that the tape ministry has a handle to hang on to. So I want to talk to you about the wonder of the word today. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, ladies. God bless you. I am coming. I guess this lesson is an honest appeal tonight to spirits of honesty and spirits of humility. You know, the prophet James said, God gives more grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. The word that is translated proud in that verse of Scripture is a Greek word which speaks of someone who perceives themselves as being above the law or the exception to the law. It's more than just an arrogancy or a haughtiness of conduct or concept, but it is, it is a mindset that says, well, I know that's the law, but I'm me, and that's for everybody else, and I know that... And there are exceptions, and that's the, that's the concept that the writer is referring to when he said God resists the proud in the book of Proverbs the wise man in 1618 makes the statement that pride goes before destruction now if you were to go to the first verse of that book of wisdom and begin to count and count all of the verses until you got to Proverbs 16 and 18 and then read that the Lord said pride is the precursor to destruction and downfall and then you would pick up again beginning with number one and count all of the verses of scriptures in Proverbs after that you would find that that verse of scripture is the very center of the book of Proverbs and all this eternal wisdom pivots around that one wisdom that one truth that pride and destruction are teammates that pride is always a precursor of destruction and I have found, and if it's offensive, I apologize, but I have found in Pentecost that there are oftentimes proud and dishonest spirits that we have to deal with. There are proud and dishonest spirits in the pew, and unfortunately, there are even sometimes proud and dishonest spirits in the pulpit. And in fact, I am not really all that worried about demon spirits and the things they can do to the church because I happen to have the Holy Ghost. I know that that's God in me and I know there's nothing in the devil's arsenal that can bind or hinder or stop God. It's human spirits that I'm worried about and that I'm concerned about in this day. And so the word of the Lord when it is being preached, and if you disagree with this, that's fine, but I'll be very honest with you. The preacher does not step to the pulpit to preach or appeal to dishonest spirits. The Word of God is not even in for them. The Word of the Lord is not purposed for spirits that are dishonest, that are proud, that think they are above the law, that think they are an exception to the law, but He comes to reach to those who understand that God choose this silly little art that we call preaching to save them that believe. As much as I love the singing and the worship and the shouting and the dancing, it pleased God to choose preaching to save those that believe. So if I'm going to be saved, it's going to happen during this intercourse that we call the ministering of the Word of the Lord. 
And we need to understand that there is a time coming when the Bible says that we will stand before a judge and if we have come before him filthy, we will leave filthy. If we come before him righteous, we will leave righteous. If we come before him holy, we will be holy still. And at that point in time, the verdict will be final. And it is not my purpose tonight. It's not my purpose today to be offensive. But I also do not want to apologize for the truth of God's word. Because Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now when he uses the word know, he is not talking about mental assent. He doesn't need you to acknowledge that God is one. He knows he's only one. He doesn't have to have my acknowledgement that he is great. He knows he's great. He doesn't even have to have my acknowledgement that he's good. He knows he's good. But he said, they that know the truth. It is the word know in the sense that a man knows his wife. It is not an intellectual exercise, but it is an intimate relationship with truth until it becomes one with you as a man becomes one with his wife. And only as you know the truth and it becomes an intimate relationship will you really be free. Unfortunately, there are those even that will fill pulpits in this hour that are like those that Peter spoke of in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, when he said, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Boser, who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. They are wells without water, clouds that are carried with tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For, whom a man is, for of whom a man is overcome, the same is brought into bondage. He said they promise liberty. They tell you, you don't have to do these things. There's an easier way. And yet, while they are promising liberty, the Scripture says they themselves are the servants of corruption. Jude goes on to say that they are reserved to the darkness of blackness or the blackness of darkness forever. I made up my mind many years ago that when I step in this pulpit, I want to be very sure that I'm in the mind of the Lord and in the Word of God. And Brother Huntley, I don't want to be too hard. I know it's possible for me to get up here and preach a message nobody can live. But at the same time, I don't want to preach it too too easy either because someday I'm going to have to stand before an eternal God and give account of this moment in time right now. So I want to talk to you for a little while to the, this morning about the word of the Lord. Jesus said in John, the word of God is truth. That is it simply. It is truth. Not a truth, not part of the truth. It is truth. And all other purported truth, every other philosophy or statement that purports itself truth that does not subordinate itself to and concur with the word of God is not truth. It is a lie. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, 16, 17, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Now, this is the power of God. Paul looked to our day and he talked about those who would profess a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. And we've often thought they were denying our emotionality of our worship or all of these things. That's not what he's talking about. That is not the power of godliness. The power of godliness is the word of God. They will embrace the emotionality of it. They'll shout and dance and talk in tongues with us. But it's when we come to these eternal truths that they separate themselves and they deny the absolute truth of the word of God. And then he said, after we have received that power, after we have incorporated this eternal truth into our life, then it becomes a matter of course that the righteousness of God is revealed to us from faith to faith. It just becomes an unfolding drama of redemption once we have known the truth. That's why in Hebrews 11, the writer said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Romans 10, 17 tells us faith only comes by hearing the word of the Lord. 
That's why when Cain and Abel came before the Lord with their offering, the Bible says by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He, he did not see fit to record it in this book to us when he gave them instruction. But the fact of the matter is there was a word from God on the sacrifice that God wanted, else Cain or Abel could not have done it by faith. If faith only can be incorporated by hearing the word of the Lord. And so by faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, in Psalms 138, verse number 2, David said, I will worship toward thy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, the Bible says this holds a higher place in God's economy than any of his names. Now, when you stop and think that Paul said, For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When Peter looked at those assembled in the third chapter of Acts as the lame man danced and shouted and praised God and said, This man through faith in that name stands before you whole today. When Colossians says, Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, and, and by your just by the way, baptism is both word and deed. Whatsoever you do in word and in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we understand the role of the name of Jesus in our walk with God, and in our eternal destiny, we would be better yet to reject the name of Jesus than to reject the Word of God. In John 12 and 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. For the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. The sole basis of judgment, Brother Elder, when I stand before God, is going to be his eternally settled word. It will not be pastoral opinion, because unfortunately pastors can be fooled. It will not be my own self-esteem, because the Bible says every one of my ways is right in my eyes. But it will be the word of the Lord that I will be judged by. In fact, in the writer to the Hebrews, he said in 4.13, Neither is there any other creature that is not manifest in his sight, referencing the word of God, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It, re it is a reveal. In fact, verse 12, the verse right above that, said it reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's one of the ways that God chose the foolishness of preaching. Every preacher in this building has had the experience of knowing people, pastoring a church. I've pastored those people 25 years. And there have been times, Brother Hale, that I have stepped to the pulpit literally arguing with God, Brother Huntley, about what he has put on my heart for that service. I know those people. We don't have that problem here. This is a futile effort. There's more important things I need to deal with. But I know I've been dealt with by the Holy Ghost. So I go to the pulpit and I begin to preach and the anointing of God settles down. And as I preach here and there, I see facial expressions change and I see things arise that I did not know was there. But the Word of God knew it was there and the word of God revealed not only the overt actions not a, but the thoughts and the intents of the heart the word of God elicits spirits the reason for that is in John chapter 1 verse number 1 it tells us in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and that Word was God. In verse number 12, it tells us, To as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And the Him that they have to receive is referencing back to verse number 1, the Word. Because in verse 13, it goes on to tell us they were already born of the Spirit of God. They weren't born of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of men, but they were already born of God. And so what he's telling us is the baptism of the Holy Ghost does not make salvation a done deal. It is only when I become to know the word of the Lord and my relationship with truth becomes intimate. But I speak in tongues. Well, I'm happy for you. But Peter's last call to the church was not speak in tongues. It was grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said all that to say this. The text that I have read to you John said that if the things that Jesus done had done were written in books, that the earth itself would not be able to contain them. 
And I was some time ago studying this and I, I began to think how much truth is there in God? I mean, God is eternal. Not immortal, eternal. Sometimes we get in our minds, God is immortal, but God is, God is eternal. Now there's going to become a day that I'm going to become immortal. I can understand immortality. I can understand something starting and never ending because I've never, I started and I've never ended yet. Now I know they tell me I will, but all of us have a hard time believing it's really going to happen. Nobody came to church this morning thinking they were going to die today. We just have a hard time coming to grips. We can kind of understand immortality. But eternality is a different thing because immortality goes that way as far as you can go and doesn't end. But eternality not only goes that way as far as you can go, but it goes that way as far as you can go. Immortality goes a million years that way and it's still going. But eternality goes a million and God was there and a billion and God was there and a hundred billion and God was there. And I don't understand that. But God is eternal. And in this eternal God, how much truth is incorporated in his person and in his being. Now, John said in that three and a half year excerpt of the eternality of God, if all of the truth that was dispensed by him in that three and a half year period were incorporated into books, how many books would it take to fill this sanctuary today? and then pour out into the foyer and then into the offices and the assembly halls and the classrooms and, and then spilling out onto the streets and the city of Denver and then the state of Colorado. My Lord, we're talking about and then the country of the United States and then the North American continent and then and John said that the truth dispensed by Jesus if it were encapsulated in books the world could not contain that three and a half year encapsulation. My God in heaven, how much truth must reside in the person of God in His eternal scope and consequence. And yet, in God's divine wisdom, somehow He has condensed the essence of His truth into one little book right here for us. How much did God have to compress and compact and condense to make it fit into this one book. And understanding that, how much of God's essence and how much weightiness must be incorporated into every verse of Scripture in this book. No wonder Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 and said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21 that it was holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. He said this is not random, haphazard. This is with design and purpose. And there must be an awesome eternal weight of authority in every word in this book. No wonder Isaiah 28 and 10 the prophet said for precept must be upon precept line must be upon line here a little and there a little it, it means it doesn't take a whole lot it doesn't take reams of scripture to establish an eternal truth may I submit to you saints that are here today you better be careful how demanding you are with your pastor when he comes to you with the word of God and takes a scripture from the word of God and establishes an eternal truth for you you better be careful how demanding you are because it doesn't take a whole lot of this to establish an eternal truth. Hello? God came to Moses when he began to deliver his law to Moses. And in Deuteronomy 12 and 32, he said, Whatsoever I command you, observe to do it, and thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. The word diminish means in the Hebrew to regard one thing as less significant than another. That's why in James chapter 2 verse number 10, 
the apostle said that he that offendeth in one point then must be found guilty of the whole law because that one point is so weighty there is so much of God that had to be compressed and compacted and condensed to make it fit into that two or three little line verse of scripture in this eternally settled book. God in heaven alone knows how much of his, of his understanding, how much of his integrity, how much of his holiness, how much of his purity, how much of his wisdom had to be compressed and compacted and condensed to make it fit in that one verse of scripture. This is a dangerous hour, and as a result of that, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1 and told him, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. And one of the things the Spirit is going to speak with such pointed clarity is that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The word that's translated doctrines there is really the Greek word for teachers or instructors. Literally, he said, they will turn to givers of doctrines of devils turn away their ear from the truth in fact in Galatians chapter 1 verse number 8 Paul makes a statement that frightens me he said but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed the word accursed is a Greek word which speaks of being without redemptive hope. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying a preacher can do a lot of things. A preacher can abuse the church's money. He can find a place of repentance and get that corrected. He can disagree with the manual of the United Pentecostal Church. Thank God, because there's a few cases I disagree with it, but, but I submit. But he can do that and find a place to reconcile all of that. He can, he can, God forbid, even fall into a moral sin. And while he may forfeit his ministry, there is still a place of repentance. There's a place of reconciliation where he can be restored to right standing with God and live out his life as a child of God. But Paul said any preacher that uses his influence to subvert this divine truth and lead people away from the purity of God, there is no hope for that man. There is no place of repentance. There is no redemptive hope. So when you sit there and think, man, why does my pastor have to preach it so hard? There is a reason. David said thy word in 119.89 of Psalms, said thy word, O Lord. This is forever settled in heaven. It is not open to debate. Some places it's not even open to discussion. It is declared. It is eternally settled. All of this wisdom of God. And I don't know how much in, in various places. I, I wish God gave me the insight with that. I don't know how much of God's divine integrity and wisdom. And, and, and how much of God's wrath had to be condensed and compressed and compacted. For Paul to say, if a man subverts this truth, he's accursed. My Lord, how much of God's judgment had to be compressed and compacted to make it fit. That one verse of Scripture. That's why, folks, you are welcome to come to the table, but don't expect us to change the menu just because you got here. Hallelujah. First John 3 and 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. If this book says something is sin, he's not going to tell you it isn't. He's not going to tell you it isn't. He's not going to tell you it isn't. I'm sure not going to tell you it isn't. Be Isaiah 40 and 8, the prophet said, The grass, it will wither. 
the flower, it may fade, but the word of the Lord, it will stand forever. This is eternal. It not only goes that way, it goes that way. It is a part of this eternal God. When all of us here in this building are gone, when Landmark Tabernacle is dust, when the United Pentecostal Church is not even a fond memory, this will still be eternally settled truth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Paul said, Now let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now the word that's translated mixed in this verse of Scripture, there, there really is no, it's a Greek word, there really is no English equivalent to it. The closest English equivalency is the word to reconstitute. Now, to help you understand that, you know, I don't mean to be arrogant, we can do this now. There was a day that we couldn't just go to the cool case in the, in the market and buy fresh orange juice. It was just too expensive. We bought the stuff in a little tube in the freezer compartment, you know. And after losing the victory, you finally get it squeezed out of that tube. And, and you put however many, four or five or six of those tubes in there. And you, with a lot of labor, you can finally get it mixed up. And, and it, 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 is, it is condensed in the tube. And when you get it mixed with the water, it is reconstituted. In other words, there was a day that that little tube had this size and dimension to it. But through a technique I don't understand, they were able to condense it and remove some of the fluid out of it and leave the essence in there. And you put the fluid back in and it takes on the dimension that it once had. And that's what Paul is saying. The reason the gospel doesn't impact some people is because they get it in its condensed form. But through a lack of understanding, they don't reconstitute it with faith. If you let faith get involved in this, when the Word of God gets in you, it doesn't stay just that one isolated verse of Scripture. It begins to take on the dimensions that it had with God in eternity before He compressed and condensed and compacted it to make it fit here. And when you know the truth and become intimate with it and it reconstitutes itself in you, there is no wonder that high school young ladies can walk down the corners of their high school with their head held high, not embarrassed to be one God, apostolic, holy rolling, born again, heaven-bound believers. Because they mix the Word of God with faith in their life and it has taken on its original dimensions in their spirit that it had before God ever had to compress. Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's why in Romans 15 and 4, Paul said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience, which is the word to endure, and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The word comfort there is a, is a Greek word which means to expand or enlarge. He said, when we can get the Word of God in us and it, it begins to enlarge itself and expand itself and take on the dimensions it had in eternity before God had to begin to compress and compact and condense it to make it fit here, then, then my, my God, no wonder. No wonder that aged saint of God could lay there with cancer riddling their body and saying, I have hope when trouble... Oh, my Lord. Hallelujah. The wonder. But there is an urgent need in this hour for honest hearts to understand the awesome authority of this word. You know, my second year of college, I was in a chemistry class. We were doing an experiment that involved phenolphthalein. Anybody ever heard of that? There's many uses in our society today. Anybody ever heard of phenomint? Xlax? The phenolphthalein base. A teacup full of phenolphthalein will make a railroad tank car full of X-lax. And the first thing the professor told us, keep your hands away from your mouth. Because it don't take much of this. 
one young lady forgot. She almost died. I'm going to tell you, folks, we better understand it don't always take a whole lot of this. We better be careful how demanding we are of the ministry and establishing holiness principles out of this book because only God knows, Brother Hale, how much he had to compress and condense and compact to make it fit in that one little two or three line verse of Scripture. Too many, too many are like those that Peter spoke of who rest or twist or bend or mold literally the Scripture to their own destruction. I wouldn't offend anybody. I mean that. But for a moment, would you think with me when the Lord said in Deuteronomy 22 and 5, For the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, don't argue with me. I know people say, well, I read of a lot of abominations in the Old Testament we do today. You read of abominations to man, which were ceremonial laws. But you will not read of one abomination to God. And there are only 11 passages of Scripture in the Old Testament to deal with abominations to God. And they all dealt with morality. They were moral laws. And none of them changed. You will talk to nobody in any denomination that believes bestiality is acceptable. And yet there is not one verse of Scripture in the New Testament that deals with it in any way. It is an Old Testament principle. But you know why it's still sin? Because it was an abomination to God. It was a moral offense. And when we look at that, and it says, for all who do so are abominable, how much? Folks, please go with me with an honest heart. How much divine disgust and how much divine disapproval had to be compressed and condensed and compacted to make it fit in that verse of Scripture? And if we can understand what the Word of God is teaching, we say, well, it's wrong because it's immodest. That is not why it's wrong. Because the fact of the matter is there's times that a woman wearing pants is more modest than she is wearing a skirt. It's not immodest. It's immoral. degree of divine disapproval had to be compressed and compacted to make it fit into that one well you've only got one verse but how much of God had to be encapsulated to make it fit there when 1619 of Proverbs you preachers listen to me for a minute when it says God hates him that sows discord among the brethren. My Lord, how much divine hostility had to be compressed and compacted and convinced to make it fit in those five or six words that says, you better be careful what you say about your brother. You better be careful how you treat your brother because God hates it. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 25, when the prophet said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. My Lord, how much urgency from the heart of Almighty God. Oh, how much, how much from God had to be compressed and, and, and yet we can so flippantly walk in the door and say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to church tonight. Can I, can I just get right in your face? The day that it's a service night at your church and one of your kids walks through the front door and says, are we going to church tonight? Warning flares are to go up. You got a problem. Whatever gave them the idea that it's church night and you might not be going to church. When Paul said it's a shame for a man to have long hair. <laughs> How much shame 
God have to? But it says this, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory. Oh, my Lord, ladies, stop for a minute. Think of how much eternal approval that God had to compress and compact and condense so that Paul could say, if you have long hair, it's a glory. Oh, I'm telling Paul said, if there's anywhere that you're going to be exactingly honest, he said it ought to be with the Word of the Lord. And I, I know, I, I pastor people too. Some people say, but, but I think, well, just, just to clue you in, Acts 1 and 24 tells us the Lord knoweth the hearts of all men. He knows what you think. <laughs> You're not telling him what you think. He knows what you think. But Romans 1, 21 said, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, in their thinking. And you know the word vain there comes from a, a Greek word which means to squeeze or constrict. So what's happening, Paul said, when they come face to face with God, the opposite of what's supposed to happen takes place. What's supposed to happen is this condensed and compacted and compressed Word of God is supposed to begin to swell and, and reconstitute itself and arrive at its original dimensions in the life. But what they do, they look at it and they compress and compact it even more. And they compress in their thinking and, And as a result, their foolish hearts get darkened and they think they're so stinking smart. And he said, what's happened, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. I hope this is not too hard. No wonder. No wonder James said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. It's sin. It's because there is so much that is represented by what we have knowledge of. And these are not suggestions. These are not recommendations. These are commandments. And I, I, I see the runway. I'm fixed to bring this in for a landing. But, but I want you to show, I want to show you the other side of this too. This is not just a book of law. This is also a book of promise. When the apostle said, by grace, are you saved through faith? Brother Hale, when I came to that altar 45 years ago and wept my way through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, how much of God's love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy did he have to compress and compact and condense not only to make it fit in this house but to make it fit in my spirit when I understand the importance and the essence of every verse of scripture in here and I know how many of them I drug through the mud how much of God's mercy to be compressed and compacted and condensed that grace could come into my life when he wrote to me in Hebrews 13 and 5 and said I will never leave you or forsake you but I will be with you always how much commitment did God have to compress and condense and compact make it fit in that one verse of scripture oh I thank God for his word 16 years ago almost 17 years ago now I stood in a hallway of a hospital a 
outside my 16-year-old son's room. And an Indian doctor, unemotional, cold, almost unfeeling, with tears in his eyes, looked at me and said, Pastor, I am so sorry. We cannot save your son. And my wife said, what are we going to do? We're weeping. I said, i got to go in and tell him. She said, how do you tell a 16-year-old kid that he's never going to get a car, that he's never going to have a wife, he's never going to graduate from high school and go to college? How do I said, I don't know, honey, but we got to tell him. I said, I think I know him, but there may be something in his life that I don't know about. And I walked in the room that day, and he was sitting there in the bed, and he looked at me, and he saw my face, and he says, well, what's up, Dad? I went over and sat down on the bed beside him and I, I said, buddy, we got problems. And I began to tell him what the doctor had said and I was crying and as I spoke to him, his chin began to quiver and tears began to course down his cheeks until finally I couldn't talk anymore. I just sat there and sobbed. My wife was leaning up against the wall just sobbing and my son was crying and, and in, in the midst of all that, I felt him reach over and take my hand. And I looked up at him and in his face, the radiant glow of the Holy Ghost was all over him and he looked at me and he said, hey, Dad, you preached it but now we're going to live it oh how much grace did God have to compress and condense and compact when he said my grace is sufficient how much power how much Holy Ghost unction Brother Huntley did he have to just so this book could say his grace was sufficient. When he said in Hebrews 7 and 25 that he could save to the uttermost. Oh my God, how far can God reach? How far reaching was that saving power of God that had to be condensed and compressed and compacted. When he said, I will with every temptation make a door of escape. Oh, I don't care what I'm going through. He said he'd make a door. I don't know how much of God. I don't know how much of His keeping power. I don't know how much of His grace. He had to compress and compact and condense to make it fit in there. But if I can get that in my spirit and let it be reconstituted with faith and take on the dimensions it had with Him in glory, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can I can. I can. The world, just in the three and a half years of his ministry, the world, John said, could not contain the books. And yet, in a wisdom that only God can possess, the essence of all that he is in his eternality was compressed and compacted and condensed. It here and all of it for this reason in John chapter 20 and verse 31 when he said but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name God resists the proud. Those that are above the law. Those that think they're the exception. But He gives more grace. Oh, how much more? How much more grace? For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Oh, God. I don't know what you're going through today, but how deeply can He be touched? What had to be? In Luke chapter 24, 
appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and revealed himself to them and they hurried back to Jerusalem and they began to share their experience with the rest of them and they were locked in a room they were they were fearful they were uncertain they were unsure they as far as they knew they were all candidates for crosses and the doors were locked and the windows were locked and God knows maybe they had signed a committee to check on the committee that locked the doors and windows and and they're fearful and they're discussing and they're troubled and all of a sudden he's there in the midst of them and he said why thank you these thoughts behold my hands my feet that it is I myself and then he makes a powerful statement he says handle me and see I, I don't know what kind of difficulty or problems you may be having today but I do bring you a word from the Lord he said handle me and see I'm big enough I'm good enough I'm able enough Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 and 6 if the musicians want to come let your conversation be without covetous be content with such things as you have for he hath said I don't know what if God had to be compressed and compacted to make it fit in that. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hallelujah. Let's stand, everybody. Praise God. Brother Mullins has brought us into a relationship today and that I want us to respond to, to this Word of God. While he preached today, it just unfolded to me, this wonderful, anointed preaching, teaching. I mean, we read the Word of the Lord a lot of times and we don't understand but that shouldn't, that shouldn't cause us ever to question. We just have to say we don't understand. We'll find out more about that. I will read through the Bible every year, and I, I will not be able to understand all of it. But I just keep reading because I know somewhere it's going to click. And now I understand why. Because when it gets mixed and reconstituted with faith, the possibilities are totally unlimited to what can happen to me as a person. Oh, you got your Bible, hold it up and give the Lord one great big thanks that you're connected to his eternal word today. In the name of Jesus, every one of us, if you'll just let me talk to you just a moment every one of us I don't know maybe me more than most but I get into a time of prayer with God and I feel my humanness is so exposed all I want to do in prayer it seems a lot of times is just tell the Lord how how unworthy and how I don't even feel like I'm capable and I don't even have the, the faith sometimes that I got faith in God, but I don't have faith in Billy Hale most of the times. And then I hear a word come from the Lord. And that word said, Son, I don't expect you to be the most perfect individual. That's why you've got grace given to you. And that's why you've got mercy. And I hear his word says, My mercy endureth forever. Is there anybody in here needs the grace of God here today? There's a connection right now, and that's the word. It's been promised to us. If you can mix it with faith, if you can mix it with faith, oh God, oh God, I want to be saved. And that word says you can be. You just keep your faith strong. Don't get around people that's always talking down about things. That's discounting this Bible. I'm going to tell you what, Brother Mullins, you have given me a new appreciation more than I can ever 
thank you enough for it. Because when people comes in for counseling, they don't want you to tell them what this says, but they want you on their side. And before they leave that room, I'm going to tell them what this book says. And I'm going to say I'm your friend for doing it, but I'm not going to get caught up in your emotions. This book is going to live. You're going to have to stand with this in judgment. This is what's going to tell you right and wrong now. Don't wait to then to find out. Do what it says. If you've got enough love for God, let's love and thank Him again today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.